the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. June 7th, 2021. Reflections on current contentions. I'm still amazed, more I guess with the press or the law schools, that they did not seize on Jen Psaki's comments last week anent the reissuing of a two-year ban of Donald Trump on Facebook. She said this exactly, quote, Our view continues to be, though, that every platform, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, any other platform that is disseminating information to millions of Americans, has a responsibility to crack down on information, excuse me, to crack down on disinformation, to crack down on false information, whether it's about the election or even about the vaccine, as we're trying to keep the American public safe and get more people to normal out in society. Close quote. I'm still gobsmacked the media let Jen Psaki get away with this. I'm still amazed Jen Psaki got away with saying the quiet part out loud. What is that quiet part? As with Barack Obama's red line threat to Syria, the story was not that Syria breached it, but that they knew they could breach it with no response from Barack Obama or the United States, except outsourcing the Syria problem to the Russians. Please understand the authoritarianism in this remark made by the United States president's liaison to the journalist community. Quote, through every platform that is disseminating information to millions, they have a responsibility to crack down on disinformation, to crack down on false information. Close quote. In times past, any times past, the notion that a government spokesperson much less the president's, was willing to justify censorship based on government's position on things true and false, information versus disinformation, and in times past, that person would have been lambasted. Every single case on press freedom and the First Amendment is about the government not having a say on what is true. And the point of the media is to hold the government accountable over concerns they would shade or manipulate or conceal the truth. Media outside of that which you can pick up at the cash register stand when you buy your groceries is not about reporting on private people's lives and keeping them accountable and honest. It's about the government. The notion of democracy, much less liberalism, is not that they are there are permanent yet legitimate facts the government must operate under, but rather self-doubt and transparency because here the people govern as they see things and determine their own facts about the best public policy for their country. And because there are not permanent facts and truth, the government gets to grand censor. That's why we have elections. There is simply no point to elections if all the truth and every legitimate fact is determined and controlled by the government with an unquestioning press. That simply requires the first and leading example of what democracy is not, except I guess in the West Bank, one vote one time for a permanent leader. As I say, because there are not permanent facts and truth that the government gets to grant, censor, or dictate, we have elections. 
There is simply no point to elections if all the truth and every legitimate fact is determined and controlled by the government with an unquestioning press. That is a description of the Soviet Union and modern China, and it appears to bother nobody that we're advocating for that here. Well, it bothers me. There's no point for Democrats to try and restore the fairness doctrine, telling broadcasters what they can and cannot say when the broadcasters have already surrendered their independence and simply constitute an amen corner for any progressive government that is elected to or takes power. If you don't thus think liberalism changed, try this. Here's William Brennan, possibly known as the most liberal Supreme Court justice of about four or five decades, certainly the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, perhaps the 90s as well. Quote, authoritative interpretations of the First Amendment guarantees have consistently refused to recognize any test of truth, whether administered by judges, juries, or administrative officials, and especially one that puts the burden of proving the truth with the speaker, close quote. Quote, the constitutional protections of the First Amendment do not turn upon the truth, popularity, or social utility of the eyes and beliefs which are offered, close quote. Quoting John Stuart Mill, William Brennan said, even a false statement is deemed to make a valuable contribution to public debate since it brings about the clearer perception of livelier impression of truth produced by collision with error, close quote. William Brennan would go on to say, but freedom to differ is not limited to things that don't matter much. That would be mere shadow of freedom. The test of its substance is the right to differ as to things that touch the heart of the existing order. Close quote. Robert Jackson, Supreme Court Justice, put it this way, if there's any fixed star in our constitutional constellation, it is that no official high or petty shall prescribe what should be orthodox in matters of opinion, politics, nationalism, religion, or force citizens to confess by word or act their faith therein. If there are circumstances which permit this, they do not occur to us. Close quote. Then we also have, of course, Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes, Quote, when men have realized that time has upset many fighting faiths, they may come to believe even more than they believe the very foundations of their own conduct, that the ultimate good desired is better reached by free trade in ideas, that the best test of truth is the power of thought to get, accept, to get itself accepted in the competition of the market, and that truth is the only ground upon which wishes can safely be carried out, close quote. If all those old liberals are too old for you, well, here's another old one, but at least he's still alive and serving on the Supreme Court, Stephen Breyer. Quote, <clears throat> whenever government disfavors one kind of speech, it places that speech at a disadvantage, potentially interfering with the free marketplace of ideas and with an individual's ability to express thoughts and ideas that can help that individual determine the kind of society in which he lives, help shape that society and help define his place within it, close quote. Not one other thing about Jen Psaki's response. So long as these private corporations, Facebook and Twitter, are doing the government's ideological bidding, they are free to do so. She said, quote, as always, it's a decision for the company to make and for any platform to make, close quote. It's not 
as always, a private corporation's decision to make any decision they want. It is not, as always, when it comes to car manufacturers and emissions or safety or any number of other things, including the race ratio of employees at these automobile makers. And every other private corporation, indeed Facebook and Twitter, may be the only private companies in the world, Jen Psaki and this administration do not believe are deserving of or earning of regulation. But the notion that the government can determine information and disinformation and truth is what frightens. As Leonard Hand put it, the spirit of liberty is the spirit which is not too sure that it is right. The spirit of liberty is the spirit which seeks to understand the mind of other men and women. The spirit of liberty is the spirit which weighs its interests alongside others without bias. The spirit of liberty remembers that not even a sparrow falls to earth unheeded. The spirit of liberty is the spirit of him who near 2,000 years ago taught mankind that lesson it is never learned but never quite forgotten that there may be a kingdom where the least shall be heard and considered side by side with the greatest, close quote. Let me shout what used to be the out loud part. The whole point of protecting speech, especially political speech, is to protect minority and dissenting views from the government to defend the unpopular. That simply cannot or will not happen when the government is in the business of policing speech for their versions of veracity aided and abetted by political forums that have built monopolies for political speech and advertising. Which gets me to the paranoia of the left and the Democrats, or at least their politicized paranoia. It all puts me in mind of Richard Hofstadter's famous essay, The Paranoid Style in American Politics, which in the 1960s was used to tie Barry Goldwater to John Birch and Joe McCarthy and point out the connective tissue between the fever swamps of McCarthy and Birch with the latter, Barry Goldwater, and as if that represented all of conservatism thought through and through, as Hofstadter put it then, angry minds that subsist on paranoia, bitterness, and extremism. American politics, Hofstetter wrote, has always been an arena for angry minds, but he later writes this in his famous essay, quote, The paranoid spokesman, the paranoid spokesman sees the fate of conspiracy in apocalyptic terms. He traffics in the birth and death of whole worlds, whole political orders, whole systems of human values. He is always manning the barricades of civilization. He constantly lives at a turning point like religious millennialists. He expresses the anxiety of those who are living through the last days, and he is sometimes disposed to even set a date for the apocalypse. Well, I have to submit almost all of that is now on the left. Ecosystems disappearing before our very eyes, in which we have nine years to act to save other ecosystems, or even if we act, it won't solve our problem. It'll just stop the worsening of them. Population devastation through lack of population control, nuclear winter, nuclear annihilation in the hands of Republican presidents, existential threat to the Constitution, existential threat to the environment, existential threat to America, fascism in the White House worse than Hitler, constitutional crisis, impeachable offenses. Now, who are the millenarians of paranoia, which Hofstetter describes. The fate of conspiracy is in apocalyptic terms, he wrote, trafficking in the birth and death of whole worlds, whole political orders, 
false systems of values, manning the barricades of civilization, living at turning point, expressing anxiety, and talking about time running out of the last days, sometimes with a certain set date. All of that is on the left now. And this takes us to Peggy Noonan's essay on paranoia and conspiracy theories from Saturday. Again, though wrongly taking on the right. Her list runs from disagreements about the election to QAnon to the notion that Donald Trump will be reinstated. And she laments belief in these things, growing belief. Here's the thing. None of them are as accepted or culturally respected as things that actually matter that are worse lies, like the notion that children can be able to and should be able to change their gender, or that gender is something assigned arbitrarily at birth, or that men can and should be able to compete in women's sports, or that terrorist groups should be coddled and defended and have the moral high ground and be given defense systems. How about that America was founded in 1619? We're supposed to accept and believe all this as we're expected to believe America, that twice elected an African-American president against the two most famous white politicians in the world is institutionally racist, or that colleges which discriminate against whites and Asians in order to increase racial composition in their schools from African-Americans are enlightened and will double down on such policies in order to expiate earlier racism, or that Donald Trump colluded with the Russians in 2016. On and on I could go with fever swamp conspiracies that have determined and changed so much in contrast and contradistinction to someone mouthing off something about QAnon. In his essay, Hofstetter writes, quote, the paranoid's interpretation of history is distinctly personal. Decisive events are not taken as part of the stream of history, but as the consequence of someone's will. Very often the enemy is held to possess some especially effective source of power. And this, precisely this is why Democrats still try to exploit January 6th. It is their evidence of proof of anti-Americanism in the Republican Party and conservative movement. And they are paranoid over it or want us to be paranoid over it. But understand, even assuming every rioter on January 6th was a conservative movement pro-Trump voter, and we know there were lefties there, but just assuming for the sake of argument that January 6th was an entirely pro-Trump event, that means we are judging an entire political party and movement by five ten-thousandths of one percent of its members and actors. That's a hell of a lot less than the 60 percent of Democrats who believe men should compete in women's sports and the other things I mentioned. And a hell of a lot less, a hell of a lot less than those who believe in conspiracies from Donald Trump colluding with the Russians to everything else, which has dramatic and dire consequences on not only how we govern ourselves, but every part of domestic and foreign policy. It's fun and easy for the elites to go after asterisks and anomalies and exceptions in the GOP to try and taint the whole thing. The problem is their team's paranoia and conspiratorial mindset is a five-alarm fire, while ours is a small and controlled backyard barbecue. The danger is it is all twisted by knaves to make a trap for fools. Don't fall for it.
Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Um, where was it uh, Nixon traveled as vice president to Eisenhower and was attacked with eggs and everything? Was it Venezuela? might have been Venezuela back in, I don't know, late 50s. What vice presidents sometimes find out is that people in other countries don't necessarily like them as much as people in their own party and the media likes them in their own country. Kamala Harris found out something like that in Guatemala today. And I think this story is going to have some repercussions. She could have gone down and been a hero and come back with all kinds of glory, bolstering the reputation everyone wants to hang on her or give to her. That's not what happened. On CBS, um, this is always, you know, the problem with not knowing enough and wishing and not knowing. This is the problem with the fact-value distinction. Ed O'Keefe, who's their major political reporter at CBS, did a story yesterday on Kamala Harris's trip to Guatemala, quoting um, the Guatemalan president, Alejandro Giamete, who just went off on uh, what a great person Kamala Harris is and um, how Kamala Harris was going to meet with someone who believes that, quote, she doesn't hold back and is frank. So all yesterday was about... um, how great her trip would be with the president of Guatemala. And um, today, that is not the sound he made. He um, he um, he blamed the Biden-Harris administration with her there. He said, we ask the United States government to send a more clear message to prevent more people from leaving. The message changed. We're going to reunite families. We're going to reunite children, is what the Biden administration told the world. The next day, the coyotes were here organizing groups of children to take them to the United States, close quote. He puts the blame not on the climate, which is what Kamala Harris has been trying to do and saying, yes, climate change is part of the reason for our crisis at the border. Could have added that to the ridiculous things people are supposed to believe on the left. But maybe the president, maybe the president knew a little bit more. He said it was the Biden administration's messaging about reuniting families and giving awards to families as every Democrat raised their hand and said throughout the presidential campaign. That's what he said. That's what he said. The president of Guatemala. And as far as Kamala Harris goes, she was asked why she hasn't visited the United States Mexico border. And she said she doesn't do grand gestures. Grand gestures. Quote The reason I'm here in Guatemala is my first trip as Vice President of the United States, because this is one of our highest priorities. I came here to be on the ground, to speak with the leader of this nation on what we can do in a way that is significant, is tangible, has real results, and I will continue to be focused on that kind of work rather than grand gestures. Of course, going to a foreign country is nothing of a grand gesture, even if it's the great country of Guatemala, about which I have nothing negative to say. I really don't. 
except for the fact that for the vice president to try and sell it, that this is the highest of priorities, that country makes me want to buy a piece of front oceanfront property right here in Phoenix. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. 34 After the Hour brings us the great John Dombrowski from Grand Canyon Planning Associates, which he founded and is the president of. Their website is grandcanyonplanning.com. And, of course, he has the Word on Wealth radio show right here on this bat channel every Saturday morning at 7. Happy Monday, John. Hello there, Seth. How you doing? I'm doing just fine, sir. How about you? Perfect. Thank you so much. You betcha. Uh, there's a lot seemingly coming out today anyone who's take cared for a parent will probably start with uh the story about a new alzheimer's drug that the fda has approved that's an amazing thing a headline you wouldn't have seen 10 years ago uh yeah pretty amazing uh this is the first uh, uh that the fda has approved you know some type of a drug for alzheimer's in nearly two decades mm-hmm. so this is a pretty big deal um, there's been some um you know, discussion about it, but Biogen is the company, and uh, boy, the stock price was up 38% today. So it had a, a nice bump today because of this approval. And and I think, Seth, you know, if you go back to one of the other big drugs that were created, which was Lipitor, for those people out there with cholesterol problems, uh, Lipitor, which uh, was Pfizer who came out with that, it was, uh, you know, generated billions and billions of dollars for Pfizer uh, until eventually it, uh, you know, they're uh, allowed to make, other companies were allowed to make it in generic form. But, uh, you know, a company like Biogen right now, this is proves to be something that is helping Alzheimer's patients. This could be a big money maker for them, and not only the money side of it, but it could be fantastic for millions of people dealing with Alzheimer's. So what people will normally ask in my position, but not yours, looking for an answer from someone in your position... Biogen is selling it, uh, what is it selling? It's up about 38%, and the question is, it's selling at about a little under 400 Should I buy it? Well, I'm not going to make any recommendations. I know, right? But that's the let me Let me pitch it to you this way. A big company on the <laughs> stock market makes big positive news about something that could be great for years to come. Is it too late to get in on it? Well, I would say this, and um, is that, you know, certain funds, mutual funds, because we never know which company is going to be the one. Of course. Something like uh, of this course. Happens. Right. So if you were to purchase, say, as an example, a healthcare ETF or a pharmaceutical ETF, an exchange traded fund, most likely you would have had Biogen in that portfolio. And, you know, utilizing ETFs is a broad way of diversifying your portfolio, giving you opportunity to take advantage of situations exactly like this. So if you were in a pharmaceutical ETF or possibly a healthcare ETF, you may actually hold Biogen in your portfolio without even knowing it and got that little boost today in your portfolio. Nice. Okay, good. Good to know, John. Thank you for that. Uh, is it silly for me to say the following thing? I know you want me to get off this. 
I will. No, no, no. But, but it's so silly for me to say, okay, the FDA just approved it. Today's obviously going to be its, its, its largest day in a long time, its biggest day on the market in a long time. But as time goes forward and this thing uh, shows more and more results, it sounds like maybe it's not crazy to try and make sure I have an index that covers it or to put a little money specifically in there, huh? Uh, that's that's certainly something to consider. I would okay. look at it this way. When you get a big bump like this, oftentimes you may see some people who take profits. Yeah. Stock price yep. may drop down yep. over the next couple of weeks. Yep. Longer term, is Biogen a good company? Yep. It is a good company. Yeah. Again, though, for me to make a recommendation yeah, sure. on anything sure. without actually understanding someone's sure. uh, specific situation uh, would be not not in, in anyone's best interest. So we could agree on the fact that if someone's interested in these things, these are questions and concerns you are very well versed at dealing with, and they should talk to you individually. <laughs> right? Absolutely. Okay. And I'd be happy, right. happy to make recommendations there you, go. you all are due uh, There you go. Perfect. Do you want to say a word about concerns over commodity price surging before we go? Uh, yeah, you know, we did see uh, commodity prices uh, again today adding to, you know, inflation concerns. And we're, you know, we did see, as we talked about this over time, copper prices hitting record levels. We saw lumber prices, even though we're seeing a little pullback in that oil reaching uh, a two-year high right now and a variety of other raw materials. Uh, this is going to either, either trickle down or trickle up, Seth, one way or right. another, whichever right. way you want to look at sure. it. It's going to pass. These companies are going to pass whatever these expenses are on to their consumers. So if it's a manufacturing uh, company, they're going to pass that on to their actual wholesalers, which will pass it on to the retailers, which are you and I when we're out there buying things. The cost of food is going up. The cost of uh, even the materials, like in takeout, uh, you know, for the, the packaging, all of these things are increasing. As far as uh, the cost to mass produce these things, that will be passed to the consumer. And the Fed has yet to come out and say that they uh, have changed their position. They still believe this may be transitory. If so, then they're expecting that this will begin to subside over time and uh, hopefully meet the goal of the Fed. So at this point, maybe it's still premature, but I know there's a lot of people out there that are still concerned about inflation. John Dombrowski. Thank you, sir. You bet. Securities and advisory services offered through Client One Securities LLC, member of FINRA Civic, and investment advisor Glenn Canyon Planning Associates LLC and Client One Securities LLC are not affiliated. Thank you, John. We need lunch. You, Can we do yes, it this week? Let's do that. Maybe this uh, week? Yeah, I'll, okay. I'll give you a call offline. Sounds good. I'm Bye. Seth Leibson, 602 960 I'll be right back. Yes, sir. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602 Let me put in a word for my friend Solar Sandy. If you're thinking of saying goodbye to those power company utility bills and thinking about going solar, Solar Sandy's who you want to call. She's the woman who brought integrity back to solar, not only because of her great customer service and personality and character, but also because she actually figured out how to truly zero out your power bill. If you do go solar, it's important you do it the right way, and Solar Sandy is the right way. She's figured out the formula. If you sign up now, she'll pay your power bills for one year and your solar power, your solar panel payments. All right, it's a lot of alliteration for one year, and you will receive a one thousand dollar bonus at signing. That's right, a one thousand dollar bonus and no solar panel or power bill payments for one year. Go to AskSolarSandy.com to get started. 
or give her a call at 623-850-8229. That's 850-8229 in the 623 area code or com. Rob, how are you, man? I'm fine. A little tired. Spent the day in Ajo yesterday enjoying my weekend. And uh, I have to say, uh, coming back on Sunday afternoon, when you take 85 and merge onto 10, they really need to widen the lanes out there because, you know, everybody from I-8 is coming north through Gila Band up 85 to get on the 10 to come into, you know, the Phoenix area along with the trucks. And then you've got the normal 10 traffic, and they only have two lanes. This is like right north of Buckeye uh, heading, heading east. And the, the traffic is just horrible. Anyway, that's uh, something for, I guess, our infrastructure people to worry about. Um, I was thinking also that, uh, you know, I'm hoping that they give out free samples of that Alzheimer's pill because I could probably use it. <laughs> I was, um, just, I was uh, wondering when yeah. the jokes would start coming on that. Oh, yeah. You know? Well, yeah, and, and also, you know, because the seasoned citizen is probably the most likely candidate to be needing that pill, I'm wondering if, uh, Medicare is going to cover it um, because there are some things like uh, the quitting smoking pill. What is that called? Citrix or something that um, oh yeah still costs right. over five hundred some dollars, right. and Medicare doesn't cover it. Is that right? Okay. I didn't know. Okay. Yeah. No. Well, that, I'm I'm here to help. Okay. So. Thank you. <laughs> we get now, by. Um, we get by with a little help from our friends. Yeah, and, and you're a friend. Some, you know, Medicare-supported pills and stuff. No, anyway, you're a friend. I didn't know that about smoking well, I, cessation. I yeah. Well, thank you. Uh, well, there's a couple of things. Are you, sm- One, are you a ceased smoker? Uh, no. <laughs> currently stained. I, I, currently nicotine-stained fingers. Okay. Yeah, I am currently <laughs> right. nicotine-stained. Like, currently. Like, okay, I got although, you. I got yeah, you. I got although you. he did cigars. I never could get cigars. But um, A Navy uh, man anyway. like you, huh? I know. Isn't that weird? Yeah. Um, I'm the same way, by the way. I never uh, got. I, they, I, they just don't do a thing for me. I don't get it. Yeah. Well, I think the women. I am, but I like that others me. like it. Does that make sense? I approve of others. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah, and I think you know some of the secondhand smoke there actually smells pretty good. It can. It yeah. can. You know. Yeah. It's fine. I'll tell you now, something though, Rob. One of the most noxious smells. Um. Yeah. is to a former smoker. So if you ever do quit, you will find out that cigarette smoking will prove to be a noxious smell to you. In due course. Well, not only that, but I mean, if you um, if you try to make out with, say, if you're a man, a female, hopefully, um, you, you'll find out very quickly. Whether Some people don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> Some people don't like it. Okay. Enough of no, that. Yeah. Any, I mean, okay. That, was, that constitutes the health doctor, segment of our show today. Onward. Right. Okay. No, but there's there's one more health point. Uh, yeah. If you're in Texas, especially if you're say making out with a nice young lady, you'll find out whether or not she chews tobacco. Uh, apparently that's a thing in Texas now, uh, or has been for a long time. I guess, yeah. No, it's uh, there's still a lot of pull for nicotine. It's just that yeah. there, I guess they. Anyway, I shouldn't get into it. Uh, I, we 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 wish you well, and anyone who's had to quit, I know how hard it is. Let me just leave it. At oh that. yeah, yeah. No. And that's yeah, and that's that's a tough thing to do. It anyway, is a tough thing to do. Um, let's see. The reason I called uh, midway the seventh of June. Uh, Actually, let me back up a second. Yesterday, the 6th of June, was the, what, 77th anniversary of D-Day landing yes. in Normandy. Um, have you heard anything other than, I guess, Jen Sack, he said something about, well, he thought about 
empty day in his heart, the, meaning the president. Yes. Uh, other than that, was there any mention by anybody in the administration about D-Day? So Jen Psaki's answer was all about how he's talked about it in the past. There's just not an emotional pull or tug in that direction from the Democratic no. Party. It's just not. It was once. No. Who was it the other yeah. day who was here? Gosh, they were might have been Pete Peterson. Maybe they weren't here, but they were saying that they remember their graduation or commencement ceremony speaker was uh, 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 Daniel Inouye, who was a Democratic senator from Hawaii who lost oh, his arm in World War II. And right. that was the Democratic Party. Uh, it's just not yeah. anymore. The rhymes and rhythms of martial virtue and military strength are just not on their mind. Nor well, is American nor history, is, nor, is, nor is the American yeah. history that would show um, what men of the age of 18 used to be like compared to men in name well, only today, at the age of 18 today. I didn't know how to say Oh, it. yeah, and, and that's very true. And that's one of the many things that frightens me about the days and times we live in. Um, in my case, being a naval person, um, you know, today is the 79th anniversary of the successful conclusion of the Battle of Midway, which literally turned the tide of the Pacific in the Navy's favor. It devastated, like as I wrote uh, some years ago. I think I'm right. You're more of a historian than me, at least military historian, Rob. It devastated a notion, as I understand it, that the Japanese military, or at least Japanese Navy, was invincible, and we showed them that's, they were not. That, that's exactly okay, right. Good, and good. and and uh, Yamamoto had, uh, you know, led the entire uh, Midway operation with uh, four carriers and several cruisers and all the other ships and subs, of which only one submarine was uh, effective, which essentially sank the Yorktown, which actually the Japanese didn't think the Yorktown was going to be there because the Yorktown got ser- seriously damaged at the Battle of Coral Sea maybe a month or two prior, but miraculously the Pearl Harbor uh, 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 Maintenance people were able to fix it in like three days. That's anyway, right. That's right. Um, the the battle of Midway started on the fourth of June. Hold Again, the thought. This is good history. We didn't. Um, Are we? We didn't say. We didn't say a lot about Midway in our book, The Last Best Hope. I think we made. I'm working off memory now. I think we made mention of it. Probably that invincibility point. But when I think of Midway, I think of it for another reason, and the reason, not for the battle, but the ship that was named after it. That Reagan told a story about Ronald Reagan did in 1989. That's what makes me think of Midway. I'll tell you that story too, but we'll be right back. If we played more Gordon Lightfoot, his lyrics would become more scrutable, but it doesn't seem to work that way. Rob is in surprise. Thanks for holding, <laughs> Rob. Oh well, well, yeah. And you can play the record of the Edmund Fitzgerald any time because he actually mentions Wisconsin in the song. It's but, the um, only song that makes sense, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. Except, it's did you see story. the Seinfeld on it? Uh, no, I didn't. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> Go on. Now, now the reason. Well, the other reason I bring up the Battle of Midway because there's a lot of important things that went on. Um, number one, you probably knew, you know, Admiral Halsey was going to go out and uh, lead the carrier battle group, but it turned out he was stuck in parole in the hospital with some sort of a skin rash, and so he recommended a non-aviator, um, Rear Admiral Ray Spruin, to uh, take his place. 
And so, and that's where Spruance really got his impeccable reputation that led him to end up being the president of the Naval War College and was just a brilliant guy. Um, the other thing had to do with the um, breaking of the Japanese code under Commander Joe Rochefort, who I think is one of the more eccentric people who, after he felt so guilty about not being able to get Pearl Harbor right, he basically spent the next six months in the basement under Singpak Fleet and had his little team of cryptologists de- decode the Japanese codes, which led to uh, the discovery that the Aleutians were not the primary target of the Japanese. It was a faint movement, whereas they wanted to, the Japanese Navy wanted to finish off the U.S. Navy, and that was the intent of the putting out so many Japanese ships and carriers uh, that ended up in the Battle of Midway, um, which is why it was so important that we ended up uh, being kind of lucky um, the other thing had to do with Admiral Nimitz, and the only direction he gave as the commander-in-chief Pacific Fleet was he wanted to uh, have uh, Race Bruins and his uh, staff, uh, quote, operate under the principle of calculated risk. Mm. Now, without that is the one of the best messages you can give to somebody who isn't into micromanagement. Mm-hmm. You know, it gives Race Bruins the ability to... Uh, basically make the on-scene uh, decisions that are needed to win battle. And boy, if we could have had people like that in, uh, well, in the Navy during Vietnam and beyond, uh, things and in Washington, yep. things could have been a whole lot different. Yep. Anyway, um, I think that uh, the other thing I, I always think about with Midway is that, you know, I'm not sure whether the Naval Academy or any Navy people study this anymore, which is sad. And the other thing is, I'll wager China has studied this battle and is doing a lot of You know what? I was just going to raise that point if you didn't. That's nicely raised. Yeah, we can, uh, we can worry about whether our recruits are cis or otherwise. We can, we can worry about whether they have imposter syndrome or not, or we can do what China does, and it's prepared to save our country.